Hello, and welcome to the Yeah, No Journal Club, episode number two. In each episode, we dissect an article from the psychiatry literature with the goal of understanding the clinical importance of the study and key aspects of research design and methods. We start with a single confusing sentence from the paper and go from there with the goal of getting from, yeah, no, I don't get it, to yes, yes, this totally makes sense to me. I'm Dr. Adrienne Delacruz. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and the Peter O'Donnell Brain Institute at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. Hi, I'm Marissa Tooth. I'm an assistant professor of psychiatry at UT Young Medical School. Hi, Adam Brenner. I'm a professor of psychiatry and residency director at UT Southwestern in Dallas. And the paper that we're talking about this week is from Song and Colleagues. It's titled Suicidal Behavior During Lithium and Valproate Treatment, a Within-Individual Eight-Year Perspective Study of 50,000 Patients with Bipolar Disorder. It was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry in 2017, issue number 174, pages 795 to 802. Adam, there's a sentence in this article that you're confused about. Oh, that's so true. The sentence that seemed to get right to the heart of things is in the discussion where they say, to reduce selection efforts and confounding by indication, we used a within individual design that controls for unobservable time invariant confounding for each person during the follow-up, as well as measured time varying confounding. Okay. Uh, Dr. Toops, do you understand that sentence? Oh, yes. All right, I, <laughs> I understand that sentence as well. This is one of my favorite papers because it illustrates a lot of things that are important um, to understand about epidemiological research or population um, level research. I do think it's worth asking the question, um, why are they looking at lithium in particular? I think it sort of has become received wisdom that lithium is, uh, reduces the risk of suicide. Did you guys say that that was true? I mean, Adam trained us, so I know that in his program that is generally received wisdom. That I was taught both that lithium is helpful for decreasing the risk of suicide, but also that lithium is very dangerous in overdose. And I got some confusing messages around, <laughs> like, prescribe lithium to patients who are suicidal because it's protective, but don't give them very much so that they don't use their lithium to die by suicide. Yeah, so it would be a shame if we were wrong about it reducing the risk of suicide, right? Because it is very toxic in overdose. So, but basically to summarize the paper, they, they looked at data over a pretty long period of time um, and it, it, from an entire population. So one of the nice things about socialized medicine for researchers is that every person in the country has data. And that data can be used um, to look at um, rare events like suicide. And so they did that by pulling in uh, basically a cohort um, of people who um, had received a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and following them for, I believe it was a period of up to eight years. And so realistically of the people who they described the paper in the headline as being like 8,000 or 80,000 people, a million people, whatever. But really it's a nested cohort of the people who um, received medication um, during that time period that was of interest to them, which was lithium um, valproate um, or a combination of the two um, over that period. So I believe the actual functional sample size for the study was more like 1,400, yes. so, which is still a very large sample, especially for a rare illness like bipolar disorder. Right. Um, and, and 
So they were able to get a number of people and follow them for a period of time that you simply could not do in a randomized control trial. So despite the fact that they had to cut a lot of people out because they didn't have the data that they were interested in, it was still a very large sample. Um, and, and so then they followed them um, in an interesting way, which was that each person was their own control. And so they defined their treatment group at, during a period of time, not as a, like eight years of how they were treated, but they looked for three month windows where they could be pretty sure that they understood what treatment each person was on. And they did that by looking for repeated prescription records. So if they had repeated prescriptions for lithium, they were considered to be on lithium. And they prescriptions had to be within 90 days of each other. Um, and if they had repeated prescriptions for Valproate, they were on Valproate. If they had repeated prescriptions for neither, they were on neither. Um, and so this allowed them to look at basically like lithium patient months to Valproate patient months. Um, and so I know, Adrian, you had a big interest in this paper about why they didn't do a randomized control trial. Um, and they did this type, this epidemiological analysis instead. And so I think one of the questions for Adam is, do you understand why they didn't do a randomized control trial? So I understood from the discussion that part of the problem was that, that their randomized control trial would be very, very hard to show uh, results if you're looking for, for very, very rare outcomes? Um, so I would say that is probably in this case, the number one reason is that suicide is extremely rare. Um, and so you need a really, really, really large sample. But I think there are some um, other reasons. And actually, I think Adrian and I slightly disagreed on what those reasons yeah. were. So I'd be interested yeah. in- <laughs> And I worry about the ethics of an RCT in which the outcome is suicide, right? It, when, you're, when you're delivering clinical care and even in the settings of a randomized control trial, if a patient becomes suicidal, you have a duty as a physician and a researcher to intervene and to try to prevent that patient from doing anything, from making a suicide attempt, from completing suicide. But if suicide is your outcome, then you need suicides to happen so that you can count them. And I don't know how you balance that um, duty to try to prevent suicide from happening with the statistical need to have suicidal events in an RCT. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I understand that. I mean, I think what people do in practice is, is conflate suic serious suicidal thinking and behavior with suicides. Um, but it actually is debatable if you look at the literature whether suicidal ideation is actually well correlated to suicide. Then that's why they, they made their main outcome being suicide-related events, right? Well, here they had to because they're looking at medical record data. So they're not there evaluating the patients themselves to figure out what really truly was a suicide attempt, right? All they have is the uh, codes that patients were admitted with. But, but that is a real nice thing about this study yeah. is that you don't have to worry about the conflating of suicidal thinking. Um, you have people documenting events. It did mean That's that right. the person who put information into the medical records had to make a decision that this was a suicide or suicide-related event. And, and so this was a really interesting study design, which they call it within, within individual design. 
And, and that gets us to the question in the sentence a little bit because they're saying, well, we did this because they were interested in reducing confounding. Um, and if we have to give one sentence about what are the issues with why do we do randomized clinical trials, that one sentence answer is because we want to try to minimize confounding. So I, I get the idea that, that we, we want to do randomized control trials to reduce confounding. But then we have the situation here where we've got this really important clinical issue. This is really potentially good for patients over the long haul, but it's hard to be on. Uh, and the therapeutic window is narrow. And so it's really challenging you know, to keep people on, right? So you're trying to figure that out and you can't do a randomized controlled trial. So you now are gonna look back retrospectively at the data and you want to compare the people who were on lithium to the people who weren't on lithium. And, but then you get the problem that there are these confounding uh, yeah. things. Yes. And I think I'm starting to get the idea of confounding by indication. The so, best or the worst type of confounding. <laughs> <laughs> that confounding by indication then means that if you're looking back at at these naturalistic groups, if you already know or have the idea out there that lithium is good for suicide, then you may get more people put on lithium who are particularly suicidal. And so then your group of people on lithium versus your people aren't on lithium aren't gonna be the same in terms of suicidal risk in the first place. Yes. So. All of us went to residency and we all got ideas about who to put on lithium. And so we do not prescribe randomly. And thank goodness we don't prescribe randomly, right? I mean, like you patients come in, you're like, I don't know anything about you. I'm just going to prescribe you, you know, like an antipsychotic, whatever, like haloperidol for you. Maybe they have depression. Maybe they have anxiety. You just pick a medicine. We, so of course we don't, right? We, per, we prescribe in a biased way, which is based on our education. So you assess a patient, you make a decision based on your knowledge about what medication um, is going to work for that person. It is anything but random. And so this is a huge problem for epidemiological analysis of medications. Um, and so much so that it is like my, I carry a little mini soapbox that I can put down and stand on anytime anybody talks about papers like this, um, which is why it's my favorite paper for Journal Club. Um, and so if we go back to the sentence, they are trying to look at confounding, like to split it up into a, I mean, you know, they're smart people and aware of this. So they're trying to split it up into a couple different types of confounding. So they say time invariant confounding and then time varying confounding. Um, and so what does that mean? Yeah, and what is the unobservable part? Oh, right, okay. So by definition, confounding is unobservable because if it, or unobserved, if you, if we were, you know, omniscient and we could observe everything, there would be no confounding because we would know all of the variables. Um, but we never can observe everything. So um, in this case, they mean because basically we had the medical record and that's all the data we had, anything else is unobservable. So if we think about um, this particular study, they're looking over a long period of time, right? And so some of the things about their subjects will change over time and some of the things will not change. I'm sure you can think of some examples of things about any of us that don't change over time. And, 
And conveniently, a number of those things are known risk factors for suicide. Yes, conveniently. So, <laughs> so demographic se- risk factors. So certainly sex, right? Yes. You could yes. argue about whether or not gender changes. Um, yes. One of the interesting questions is about diagnosis. Yes. Um, because and then is the worst diagnosis. And then we can debate whether or not the within individual design then controls for diagnosis. Um, age changes over time, but again, within In individual yeah. may control for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, history of sexual trauma. Yeah, right? Childhood we know- history is the same in each person over time. Right. Um, Genetics is the same in each person over time. Family history of suicide is the same in an individual over time. For the most Um, part, yes. Yes. Um, And the question about history of individual history of prior suicide attempt, they're only including people in the data who have a suicide attempt, right? Yeah. So when, when I was a resident and was learning uh, risk assessment for suicide, we were taught to think about state and trait. So, mm-hmm. so this is making sense to me now. The, the unobservable time invariant confounding things are all of the, the risk factors that we would think of as state aspects of the patient, things that, that are just now at this point about who they are and what their history is that aren't changing. So you're, yes, but you're backwards. So trait is time invariant. And oh, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you meant yeah. the right thing. I, <laughs> I meant the right thing. Thank you. Yes, but the right, exactly. I, I just don't, don't remember, you know, basic English vocabulary anymore. <laughs> no. While I'm learning all of this epidemiology, that's what it's getting pushed out. Yes, yes. I mean, I do think in the, so when we do this article in Journal Club, one of the things that I give that is an occult thing is, um, reproductive status in women. And so, um, and the reason for that is because, you know, Depakote is associated with severe birth defects. And so many providers like me, I don't, basically, I don't prescribe it in reproductive age women. Um, but so that could affect whether a woman would be prescribed lithium or Depakote, right? But you don't know, we have we don't know in this data set, maybe they had a hysterectomy or maybe they, um, you know, for some other reason, they became non-reproductive. And so in the middle of the study, their um, probability of being prescribed lithium versus Depakote could change dramatically, and we would have no way of knowing about that. Um, And the reason why I use that example is because it's important to understand that the biases in how physicians prescribe are not only related to whether lithium is good for suicide. There's all these other biases that we have that make the prescription non-random. And I probably should just record myself saying non-random over and over again, because I'm going to say that in every episode. It's non-random. It's non-random. It, so the, there are all of these things that are happening that we cannot measure that are not random. And because the study is not randomized, we can never get rid of all of them. But they're trying to get rid of as many of, of them as they possibly can. So this design is sort of amazing because most designs in a randomized control trial, we're randomizing individuals and with the hope that 
all of the individual characteristics get balanced out across the groups. Mm-hmm. And in this study, they're just saying, <laughs> we're going to compare one person to themselves so that all of the random things about that person that don't change over time, important asterisks, right. um, are controlled within the person. Yes, it's like a one N of one stratification study. But with many, so, many, many, right? With 1,500 <laughs> ends of one. <laughs> yes. I mean, and they did conclude that there was an impact, um, which was interesting because the STEP BD study, which was sort of the largest sort of attempt to look at this in an RCT, actually didn't find an impact um, of lithium. And you could argue that it was underpowered to do that. Um, but, but they did confirm that they feel like there really is an effect. So, so isn't it amazing that something we all learned is received wisdom the data backs up. But yes, it is nice that they, that they did support something that we had seen, um, but not had really good evidence for. So I would say this was a big step forward in demonstrating that there, that there is something to look at um, from the perspective of um, recommending this for treatment and from trying to understand the physiology of what makes people um, engage in suicidal behavior. So... Are we ready, we think, to return to the original sentence and see if Adam can explain it? I'm ready to try. Okay. So our original sentence was, to reduce selection effects and confounding by indication, we used a within-individual design that controls for unobservable time-invariant confounding for each person during the follow-up, as well as the measured time-varying confounding. We, We can't do a randomized controlled trial. So the, then the next thing that we would think about doing is looking back at all of the chart data we have and seeing how people on lithium did versus how people who weren't put on lithium did and whether or not we can make some uh, statistical inferences about uh, lithium being protective about suicide. But the problem of doing that is that there are all of these things about uh, as Dr. Toops was saying, um, good biases that clinicians would bring into their treatment that would make them be more likely or less likely to prescribe lithium for different patients. They, they have, will have reasons to be more concerned in one patient about suicide or more concerned in another patient about uh, reproductive uh, kinds of risks. So you won't get a pool of patients to compare who don't have a ton of confounding. And so then instead of trying to get uh, rid of the confounding, you just accept that uh, you've got this pool of people with a lot of confounding, but you can look at the same individual and what happened when they were on lithium or weren't on lithium. And somehow then, and then you're able to take those other confounding variables out of the mix because they're always the same for that same person. Yes. Yes. And, and so that, what about the time varying confounding? You're almost there. The time varying uh, confounding, I'm still a little confused about. So, so what the authors argue is that they controlled for the time varying confounding. The, right. That's what they mean by measured. Yes. The, the things that they, they are aware of that 
will change over time and are important to suicide risk, they measured and accounted for in the statistical analysis. Oh, so for example, like uh, current substance use, which might change over time, but which you can see and measure in hopefully in the charting. So the things that they definitely controlled for were age and total number of suicide attempts. So then reasonable people can agree or disagree about whether or not they measured and controlled for enough different time varying confounding. It, yes, and you may have mentioned the major one, Adam. I mean, I think we already talked about access, but they probably could have gotten some information about substance use disorders from the medical record. Um, and that, so it's a big one where potentially it was feasible for them to do it. That was nagging at me the, yeah. in this. So appropriately so. Yes. I mean, you know, the, and like I said, the thing about this to me, I mean, the reason why it's my soapbox is because it's important to understand that we never get rid of all of this. Like in an epidemiological study, there's always confounding by indication. You can never get rid of it. The most that we can do is try to do a reasonably good job at, at minimizing the major things that impact it. Um, and, and I think that they did do a fairly good job. I actually think I agree with you that the substance use is probably the largest thing that's sort of hanging out there that we haven't, um, that we, they haven't looked at. But the, the major time varying uh, things uh, you're, are things like age and especially accumulation of a history of suicide attempts. Right. And that uh, that they're able to directly measure from the chart data that they have. Right. And so that they can control for. Correct. Those yes. are the two things they said they controlled for. Okay. So, so, yes. <laughs> okay. So are, are we Wait, convinced? Am I, am I at yes? Are, are you at, are you at yes? I think so. I, I, I'm feeling pretty yes. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Yeah No Journal Club. Prediction of the Yeah No Journal Club is supported by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology Faculty Innovation and Education Award, awarded to me, Adrian Dela Cruz. The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the views of the individuals and do not represent views of any institution. Specifically, the opinions expressed do not reflect those of the ABPN, UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT System, or the state of Texas. You can find the Yano Journal Club on your favorite podcast app. Please rate us and write a review. Visit our show page at www.yanojournalclub.simplecast.com. That's Y-E-A-H-N-O journalclub.simplecast.com to learn more and find links to the article abstracts. We love your suggestions. You can email us directly at yatnojournalclub at utsouthwestern.edu. Do you need materials to run a journal club? You can find our journal club superstar curriculum, the Adpert virtual training office, or by visiting our show page. Keep listening so you can stop worrying and love the literature.